You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Janine Bitson, your co-host, along with... Brad Gray. Yay! It's just been a tremendous morning with Dr. Michelle Curtella, and and we just want to thank you for staying with us here. Uh, Before we do move on to our next segment, did you know that you can find Real Presence Live podcasts on our website, realpresenceradio.com, or on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Be sure to check those out. That's right. And now we are happy to move on and have our conversation with Steve Ray, a voice that's very familiar to all of us. Steve, thank you so much for being on with us this morning. Well, uh, it's quite my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Just back from a pilgrimage late last night, and you're the first thing I'm doing this morning. Wow. Oh, How'd the pilgrimage wonderful. go? We, um, it was good to be back in the air again after 14 months of being grounded, yes. but we went to St. Augustine, Florida, where Christianity at a Catholic church first arrived here. First uh, parish ever built, first Marian shrine. And something we all learned there, it's kind of interesting, I never learned in school, was that the Catholics arrived there and set up a church in a community 55 years before the pilgrims arrived wow. in, on Plymouth Rock. So. The Protestant pilgrims were not the first ones. That was no kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> Those Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we are just so grateful that uh, you're joining us this morning to, you know, talk more about our beautiful creed. Uh, you know, for uh, the past couple months, we've been breaking down the creed line by line. And what lines will we be discussing today, Dr. Ray? Well, we are. Boy, you've given me a doctorate. That's wonderful. <laughs> I accept. Uh, <laughs> you are. You could be made a doctor of the church. Of course, we we know what happens before that happens, so we don't want to go there. <laughs> well, that, today we're going to discuss the uh, Son as being incarnate. First, we discussed God the Father, and, and that wasn't always contested, so there's not a lot about him. But, the, but Jesus, the Son, was contested a great deal. Was he God? Was he man? How did he get here? There was all kinds of heresy swirling around who the Son was. And so we dealt with how he was God in the flesh, that he was actually the almighty, eternal, second person of Trinity who came down. And now, today we're going to deal with a part that says that he is incarnate for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the Holy Spirit, incarnate to the Virgin Mary, and became man. Now, we those words just roll off our tongue like it's no big deal, but if we were in the first centuries of the Church when the heresies were around, those words would have hit like a sledgehammer. Right, Because right. they clarified... And they they sent heretics sprawling, and that's why these words are so important, and they should really be thought about. And you know, they they come especially like right now it comes on the heels of another conversation that really challenges the incarnation. We just had the gender ideology uh, conversation, so it's it's kind of this it's a a new attack in some ways on this this ancient reality that really provides a foundation and stability. For, for everything that we hold dear as Christians, right? Right, and, and God created us. And I'm, I'm finishing up the second edit of my new book I've got coming out on the, a commentary on Genesis and mm-hmm. with Ignatius Press. And that book, uh, the book of Genesis, tells us that God created male and female. And Jesus was born a male to a woman named Mary. And there was no gender issues back in those days. Mm-hmm. 
you were a boy or you were a girl, and that's pretty much the way it was, and that's the way it's been through all of human civilization. And and also, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, I was going to say Dr. Ray. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also when our church gets itself in a lot of trouble. It's when we focus too much on the humanity of Christ, or we focus too much on the divinity of Christ. And here in the Incarnation, how beautiful that if we can all truly understand how how incredible, what a miracle this is. Yes, and you know, when, when we're here, a lot of times we're defending the divinity of Christ, because the world will say, well, he was just a good teacher, and in an atheistic, secularist age that we have now, who denies the supernatural, they'll just say that he was just a um, disenfranchised Jewish rabbi or something of that nature. And so we're always defending, and, and when the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons come to our door, we're defending that he's, he was, uh, from all time, the eternal Son of God. So Jesus was 100% God. When I take my groups to Israel, one of the things I like to do is to, I, I say to them when we're walking in the land and they have flies buzzing around their head and they're hot and hungry, or something, and I say, this is what Jesus went through. We defend his div- his uh, divinity when we're at home, but here I want you to explain, I want to explain to you and you experience his humanity, that he was also 100% man. Mm-hmm. This, was, uh, this was clarified in 431 at the Council of Ephesus, where Mary had lived for a while when John was the bishop there in uh, Turkey of today, Ephesus. And the Council of 431 of the Church Fathers went there, the bishops, precisely because Mary had lived there. And what they determined and what they said was that Mary is the Theotokos, the God-bearer. And the way we in English call it is the Mother of God. That made two really huge statements. Because she's the Mother of God, that means that baby is divine. But because the baby is her son, it's also human, because it comes from her womb. Therefore, that baby is both 100% God and 100% man. And when you make that simple statement, mother of God, you are affirming both his divinity and his humanity. And back in those days, that was used as a test. If you could not say that Mary was the mother of God, you were a heretic in the way you view Jesus. So the the whole aspect of him becoming man, that he came down from heaven and was incarnate, incarnate, carnivore. What does a carnivore eat? Rawr, it eats meat. <laughs> he became incarnate, in flesh. That is a powerful statement right there. Mm-hmm. In flesh he came down, Ma- made of meat, so to speak. Yeah, I, I like to say the world... Uh, is uh, 75% water. Our bodies are 75% water. It's interesting that God came down and became 75% water, created mm. a part of his own creation. That is interesting. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. Um, so, uh, Steve, you, you talked about how, you know, we had to defend both the divinity and the humanity of Christ. So we'd, we had to defend them against errant understandings, heresies, right, in the early church. So what were some of the, the heresies that attacked Christ's humanity? Well, the, some of the, most of the heresies we have today are just recreations or resurrections of the old heresies. Mm. There's really nothing new. There, there was an Arian heresy that desired, um, denied his divinity, and they said that he was 
there was a time when he was not. Mm-hmm. In other words, he was created by God the Father, that there was no son, and he then created or had a son somewhere in time, which was a, which was a denial of the divinity. But then there were other ones called docetism or Gnosticism, and those Gnosticism is rising its head up again. Every century it comes back with a new face, but it always has the same heart. And Docetism and, and uh, Gnosticism denied his humanity. Docetism said that the, it was a belief that Jesus only seemed to be human. His physical body was just an illusion, that he was divine, but his physical body wasn't really there. It was only an illusion that he had a physical body. It was like a ghost, so that God could come down and be among us, but he didn't actually want to take on filthy, nasty, dirty flesh and become stuff. Mm. of matter. but And then the Gnostics said the same thing, that they would deny that there was any... Uh, because there was an attitude that anything physical was evil, and that spirit was good. And because God was good, he could not become physical because that was evil. So it's only he appeared to be that way. So the, the, there's all kinds of permutations to these heresies, and how they have, there were different proponents that had different flavors. It's like going to Baskin-Robbins, and there's 31 flavors. You know, all these heresies had their different flavors and their different names. But those are the core ones that said that he was he was had a divinity, but he only appeared like a ghost head of a body. Because how could God, when spirit is good and matter is evil, God could not become matter. Therefore, he only could appear to be matter, but not really. So, so Steve, we're talking about the for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate. So, how do these how do these heresies attack that aspect of our salvation? Like, what what's the problem with these heresies? What what's the harm in it all? Well, God. God became man, it says even in Genesis 3.15 that I will bring enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. So from the very beginning in the garden when God made a pronouncement against the devil, he said that there was going to be a physical seed of a woman, meaning a real man who was going to save us. Now, the concept of God becoming a man was something they didn't understand back then. That was just such an amazing Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, Reality is stranger than fiction sometimes. But it was important that he come down to become a man and take on our flesh because he's going to start over again. Adam and Eve brought, uh, the first Adam brought corruption to the whole world. It's, it's not, the uh, image of God is not wiped out from it, but it's distorted and it's, and it's corrupted. And there has to be a new man come down into a new garden, and that's exactly what Jesus was. He came into a new garden. The cross and the tomb were in a garden, John tells us in the Gospel. And he had to come down to a new garden to start over again to bring a new humanity. And the beauty of the way it was, in the Easter vigil, we say, Oh, happy fault of Adam, who brought us such a great Redeemer. Happy fault of Adam. In other words, it's a good thing that Adam sinned. Why? Because Adam would have been immortal, but he would not have required the Redeemer. Now we have God comes down as a man... And therefore, he relates to us, and in a way now, he brings us up with his humanity back into heaven to share in the life of the Trinity. That wouldn't have happened if he hadn't become a man. So this is, it's crucial in every aspect that Jesus be a real human being so that he can really participate in our humanity and restore us to what God wanted us to be, and even more. I think of the, uh, the statement by one of the fathers, you probably remember who it is, I can't recall offhand, but he said, what he did not assume, he did not redeem, right? Yes, 
it was probably uh, Athanasius. Okay. Um, but if he did, he did not. Um, and, and you know, he went back to heaven with the body. We're, we're about ready to come up and celebrate the ascension. And people, I think, don't realize the fact that when Jesus went back up into heaven, he went back with his glorified body, and he has it to this day. The Catechism says that he has his body there, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he loves stuff. When he created us, he said, "It is good, not just our spirit, but our bodies." what he made us, and, he, and it's so good that he was willing to come down and become a human body himself so that he could take us all up to heaven with him. It, it's so incredibly beautiful, this whole mystery of our faith, and uh, we're just so grateful that you're with us, uh, Steve. We do have to take a quick break, but on the other side of the break, we're going to continue to talk to Steve Ray on the line for us men in our salvation. He came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. For more than 20 years, the University of Mary has watched students thrive through affordable, flexible, and formative online education programs. Now, we are delighted to announce the expansion of these offerings with the robust portfolio of advanced education options created intentionally for the Catholic working professional. Our programs offer accelerated formats with classes beginning every five weeks throughout the year and the potential for a return on your investment in the very first year. Visit us at catholicprofessional.life. There was a lady that was away from the church for 50 years, and by accident, she turned on the radio on, in her car one day, was flipping through the stations, started listening to Catholic radio, and began to realize what she's been missing, and mm. realized that she didn't really understand the faith she was born with, and she is now back in the church, and she is enthused about her faith after 50 years. Another lady said, you know, I had an abortion years ago. I would like to come onto your radio station, be interviewed sometime, and talk about it so that people would understand what abortion truly is. She did that after listening to one of the new radio stations that we've got. So, you know, when you hear reports like that, you say, where else could I spend my dollar to get that kind of results? And uh, uh, so it's, uh, it's a real blessing. Spring is in the air, and that means it's time for Real Presence Radio's Spring Live Drive, Awaken. Join us for this family reunion as we celebrate and raise funds to continue to broadcast Real Presence Radio in your local area. Don't miss your favorite priest, hosts, and fellow listeners as they share how RPR has impacted their lives. Spring Live Drive, Awaken, coming May 4th through the 7th. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. We are having an awesome conversation with Steve Ray uh, about the, the fact that we've been saved because Christ is incarnate. Now, Steve, during the break, we got a chance to, to talk a little bit about the privilege you have in leading pilgrimages to the Holy Land, to being the place in the places where these things took place. You're, you're making a comment about how the Holy Land is called the fifth gospel. I love that. Tell us a little bit yes. about that. My wife and I have been there over 180 times. Wow. 
and we have three more, three trips planned this fall again. And we, it looks like it's going to be open, and we're going to be going. I already have one bus sold out for the first trip. Um, but it, we call it the fifth gospel. And I thought that I had come up with that, but I was kind of gratified to find out that that was first referred there uh, by Paul the Sixth. Oh, great company. Right, that's what I thought, too. Uh, <laughs> oh, he came awesome. there in 1962, and in fact, he was the first successor of Peter to ever come to the Holy Land since Peter. No way. 2,000 years, the first pope wow. that ever had come. And he called it the fifth gospel. And the way I describe it is that when you walk in that land, what you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in black and white becomes in stunning, uh, bold relief, like widescreen technicolor when you walk there, because all of a sudden you understand that when it says that Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth, for example, you think that she just got in a taxi and went across town to visit Elizabeth, when in reality that little 15-year-old girl with her bare feet walked for a hundred miles wow. to visit Elizabeth it's a in sort the hill of... country of Judea, which is really hilly. So oh. it makes it makes all the distances and the places are real, and uh, it yeah. makes the gospel come alive. I was so. just going to say, it's, it's a sort of incarnation of its own, right? I mean, you take, it is. You, you have the words that we read and, and the stories that we hear, but there's there's a sort of encounter with the reality there, right? It is, and you know, it's interesting you say that, because I never really had, as a Protestant, I never had a desire to go there, but it was when I became Catholic, and there was a new sacramental incarnational view of things, that I had to go there and actually touch the land. Uh, if I'd have gone as a Protestant, I would have gone with a notebook as a tourist. But now, as a Catholic, I go there as a pilgrim with a notebook, yes, but it's devotional. And, you, and I always tell people, don't think you're just going to go there and touch the land. The land is going to reach up and grab you. Yeah, mm. for sure. Mm. Cool. And when we go there, the incarnation of Christ is so special. When we go to Nazareth and we pray the first joyful mystery, I say to people, look at this. You're standing right in the entrance of the cave where Mary lived. The angel stood right there when he said those words to Mary 2,000 years ago. So when you pray the rosary, the words in the rosary came from this place you're standing at right here. And that is incarnational thinking. And this is where the Word became flesh. It did not happen in Bethlehem. That was nine months later. God had already become man for nine months, because when the angel announced that to Mary, that she was going to give birth to a son, those little cells in Mary's womb were too small for your eye to see. And yet... God had become man, yeah. and those were human and divine selves in there. And on the altar, at the place where the angel spoke those words, if this doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know what does. When the angel spoke those words to Mary, it says on the altar, the word became flesh here. Mm. When you're standing there, the, and you say, oh my goodness, you just realize where you are. This is where eternity and, and time intersected matter and Everything intersected right there when God became man here. Well, Steve, I think you just filled those other two buses from our 10 Diocese <laughs> listening area. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to say, I got to go there sometime because my wife and I got married on the Solemnity of the Incarnation. And I've oh, often my been goodness. so touched by it because I see it as the, the event when God wedded himself to humanity in many oh, ways. That's it. That's mm-hmm. the point. Yeah, awesome. Well, you know, so earlier in the the conversation here, you talked about the Council of Ephesus and Theotokos and how Mary, this this proclamation that Mary is the the God bearer, was was a defense of Christ's humanity. Can you tell us a little bit about how Mary's involved and the, and the Holy Spirit as well? We got, we speak about that in this phrase that He came down by the power of the Holy Spirit, was incarnate of the Virgin Mary. What what do they play in there in all this? 
Well, I love Augustine has this great quote. Jesus the Son was begotten of a father without a mother. Mm. In other words, from all of eternity, he was begotten of the Father, but there was never a time where he started. He just was always begotten of the Father, so he was always there. So he was begotten of a father without a mother, but then he was born of a mother without a father, meaning that he didn't have an earthly father. Without a mother, he is God. Mm. Without a father, he is man. See, this is one I just say that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Yes. It is so almost like science fiction couldn't come up with a better story than this. Yeah, and, and, so, and how divine it is, too, because today is Psalm 2, and you are my son. This day I have begotten you. I yeah. mean, like, how cool is that? I mean, just yep. on radio, we have his, his divinity, that uh, Holy Spirit speaking. <laughs> yep, and Mary is like the moat around a castle. And in a, I made a movie on Mary called Mary, Mother of God, all on location in the Holy Land and in Turkey. And I'm standing in a moat of a castle, and I say that the Marian dogmas are more about Jesus than they are about Mary, because what Mary is is like the moat around the castle. When you say Mary is the Mother of God, it's more about who Jesus is than who Mary is. So most of the Marian dogmas are more about who Jesus is and to protect and define who he and what he is than they are even about Mary. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to do is you have to cross the moat if you want to get in and get the king. Mm. And so Mary kind of stands that way as the moat around her son, and her dogmas about her are always there to proclaim the divinity and the humanity of her son. Right, right. Yeah, Steve, you've mentioned a couple times that uh, reality is stranger than fiction. And, I mean, this, honestly, the Christian reality is is bizarre. It's very radical. And and many have said, you know, God could have redeemed the world any way he wanted to. This is the way he chose. Why? You know, what, what was the deal with, why did the Trinity plan such a bizarre way of going about our redemption? Well, he could have done a couple of things. He could have, uh, he could have just let us rot in our sins, mm-hmm. and we would have just rotted away eventually. Or he could have just wiped us out and said, those stubborn, stupid people, they, I gave them such a good place, and look what they did, and just wiped us out. But he came up with a third alternative. Instead of doing that, and instead of just declaring it, he wanted to show and demonstrate his love. That's why in the Gospel of John, when it's, uh, Jesus said that, uh, when I'm raised up, that is terms of royalty. Those are words of a king being raised up to be seated on his throne. Why does Jesus refer to being raised on a cross in kingly terms? I'm being raised up and I'll draw all men to myself. Because this was the moment where God demonstrates how much he loves us. He demonstrates it to the whole world and to the devil and everybody else, how much he really loves us, that he was willing to become one of us. When I talk to my grandkids, who try to explain the incarnation. It's called a scandal, by the way. Can you imagine mm-hmm. the angels when they heard the first time, God is going to do what? Mm-hmm. He's going to go down and become one of them? Are you kidding me? This is a scandal. And I tell my grandkids, get on our bellies on the grass, and we find an ant hill. And I said, what do you see? The ants, where do they live, kids? They live down in the ground. I said, do you think you could ever love the ants enough to become an ant and go down and live with them? Mm-hmm. No, Grandpa, we could never do that. <laughs> and yet that's what God did. He loved us so much he became like us and came down and lived among us. 
and be, and even then the scandal went worse because the scandal of the incarnation goes all the way to the scandal of the cross. Now imagine what the angel said. He's going to do what? Mm-hmm. And he did it to demonstrate his love for us. That where it says that uh, sometimes a, a friend or one who loves you will die for you, but he died for us while we were yet sinners. Yeah. Right, right. And and the evil one, man, oh man, he just it made him so mad that uh, oh, God yeah. would be willing to do that. And, and he, not only that, but the devil he tries every time he tries to thwart God or to hurt him, God uses it for his own good. It's got to drive him crazy. Yeah. I love, uh, you know, St. Louis de Montfort in uh, his true devotion to Mary, he talked about, when we were speaking about, you know, how is Mary involved and why would God do this, uh, that Louis de Montfort makes the, the statement that Satan is more scared of Mary than he is of God. And he goes on to say that because, because Satan's supreme sin is pride, uh, that the simple, humble handmaid uh, the fact that she would be involved in crushing his head rather than the grand and almighty God is all the greater an affront to his pride. Uh, so it's, there's a, a sort of a beautiful twist of, of God's genius there, too. There's a thought that the reason that Lucifer was cast out of heaven was because he was so proud, and when he heard that he had to go down and serve those people down there, he said, never, and he was cast out. And Jesus said in Luke that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning to the earth. Mm -hmm. And now the woman is being raised up to be seated as the queen of heaven, even higher than he would have been before himself. And that has got to be the most humiliating thing. And if you want to see how much the devil hates Mary and is scared of her and doesn't trust her, and and she's a mystery to him as well, is watch again Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, Mm -hmm. and watch how the devil, even in the crowds, won't take his eyes off Mary. He's watching her, and he's got this look on his face like, what is she up to? What is she going to do? And he doesn't like her. Yeah, and and if that shouldn't help us as listeners and, and hosts to invoke Mary in prayer all the more that how um, how she always directs us towards her son and how she protects us from the evil one. That's right. So, Steve, we're, we're down to like the last 45 seconds here or so, but what will, what will you be discussing next uh, in the interview regarding the creed? Well, we're going to discuss the, the following step and became man, and then we're going to talk about why he became man. So there's a big circle. He was God, then he came down, became man, and then he suffered under Pontius Pilate and died and was buried, and then he rose again and ascended back into heaven to become the judge. So we're making this big circle. So we've now come down from him being God to him being man, and now we're going to discuss next time why he became man and how he died and brought redemption to us. So that'll be the next step. I absolutely love it. It's, it's been a treat being on with you, Steve. Uh, and and then, um, congratulations on your new doctorate. I'm really proud of you for that. <laughs> Me too. I'm going to redo my business card. There you go. You deserve it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, up next, we have a question for the youth. Are you all in on your Catholic faith? How can you get more involved? We'll be discussing this next on Real Presence Live right after this.